0: Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Ranked you there? Uh, above 80th. Hey, Ed, can you hear us? Hello? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, this is not Hello? good. This
1: is the Press Box. Are you there? Come on! With Grady and Bischoff.
2: Ed, disconnect! Are you there?
1: Ed, check your phone.
0: You're sending us messages. Yes, we Hello? hear you.
1: Disconnect. On ESPN, Las Vegas. Did you hear me saying hello, and you were yelling at me to disconnect? Yes, I was. That oh, was that's awesome. Ah, oh, the days of clean feet in the pandemic. We missed them so much. Was that a, that had to be a clean feet pandemic?
0: Yes, absolutely. No <laughs> doubt about
1: it. <laughs> There's no question about we're that. We're
0: all in the same yeah. room today, though, yeah. so we'll probably have plenty of problems anyway.
1: Good to start the show with the uh, Celtics broadcast. Uh, the Celtics Homer <laughs> broadcast guys, uh, that was good. Uh, what's going on? It's a Monday.
2: It is. I don't
0: know. You're gone most of the week, so. <laughs> Raiders uh, yeah. mandatory minicamp.
1: We're going to see if everyone shows up.
0: You're gonna you're you're gone, and you're going to stand eight football fields away. Yes,
1: they're going to put another one yes. in between you. And it's going to be like 111 this yeah, week. Yeah,
0: it's going to be really hot, and yeah. it's going to uh, be good. And then maybe you'll get to talk to Derek Carr this week. Maybe not.
1: I will not forget my uh, binoculars.
0: All right. I'm excited for the binoculars. <laughs> I'm, I I. need somebody to take a picture of all the media members with binoculars, with binoculars yes. watching minicamp tomorrow. There
1: will be more people this week with binoculars than, well, Tashawn's <laughs> the only smart one who has brought him so far but i think more people will remember this week.
0: Can you put your camera lens up to a binocular like on your phone and take a photo through the binocular to get a better camera or better picture?
1: I'll try I don't that. I think that's I how do, that works. I but. do have 3 hours in <laughs> 111 degrees so i can try a lot of stuff with my phone. I look for, i would look forward to that. A binocular. So binoculars and then put my phone up I think you'd put the camera
0: lens on the back of the phone to where your eyes would normally go. Okay. Is how I would think you would do it. But I don't know if that works. That doesn't sound like it should work because that sounds stupid. But I also (laughs) want a picture of you doing that tomorrow (laughs) to see if
2: it works. I have confidence that it will work. Really? Have you done that before? I have not done that, but I think it'll work. You've used binoculars. Oh, yeah. But I've never taken a picture through binoculars. But I think it'll work. Yeah.
1: Got an iPhone 11. I don't know if that's working. Don't have the new 13. My kid has a new 13. Listen, we're
0: calling you tomorrow at some point so you can report back with your findings of binoculars binoculars and camera phones. Please
2: please show up on, like, day three with a full telescope and just say, hey, binoculars weren't working. I needed something more powerful. Who who had the helicopter flying over John Gruden's practice last Uh, year?
1: It was one of the channels. It was locally. one of the TV stations. Yes, yeah. and they flew over and literally stopped, <laughs> and you know to shoot down and to shoot, which you're not supposed to. You know the shooting uh, period was over, and uh, they shot down. And um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Gruden came over to the PR people and had a few choice words. <laughs> like, what? what the? And then uh, the PR people had to call the station and say, "Can you move your helicopter, please?" So the review
0: journal shooting. needs to hire a helicopter.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'll get on that today. You That'll can hang, you can hang out the side with your yeah, binoculars, with the binoculars and the iPhone yes. with a parachute on it in case I fall <laughs> out.
2: Oh, that'd be beautiful. The first bite is Golden State in control of the finals.
1: So I got to tell you, the first score I saw was ninety six to eight. I was at the Aces? <laughs> Uh, I think it might have been 92 to 60-something, though. It was like like you, like you, Andy from the RJ, uh, we're riding in the back of the Aces game. He goes, oh, getting run out of the building. So I refreshed my phone. It was like 90-something to 60-something. So another blowout, huh? It was a blowout third quarter. Uh, again. Again. My, Golden State did that in the first
0: game, too. This one, a little bit worse. The one before wasn't quite as bad. But... Won the third quarter by 21 points. They had a uh, two-point lead going into halftime and then blew them out in the third. And it was like Patton, Steph Curry, I think he had 14 in that quarter alone. Like, just he went off. And then Jordan Poole actually scored the last six points of the quarter, including hitting a three-point or a half-court. Half yeah, and like pulled like pulled up from half-court. It wasn't like, a, oh, I got to get a running start. Like, he pulled up from half-court and drilled it anyways, it was a patented Steph Curry run, and then they didn't actually blow it in the fourth quarter like they did right. in Game One. And here's the here's the interesting part for the Warriors in this series: they're a fourth quarter meltdown away Believe from not two only oh. having a two-zero lead, but having two big wins.
1: Right, like they wins.
0: they took a huge lead against in game one End of and, the fourth and then boston just had one of the best finals quarters ever right and outside of that golden state's up to nothing and golden states would have won both these games by double digits and we'd have been looking around saying okay uh, it's over yeah the series is done boston is gonna have to change everything but because boston had that great fourth quarter it's one one and you know they stole home court if they can go if they can win two home games boston's up three one and they're gonna win the series right. but We are legitimately one meltdown quarter from Golden State just dominating this series. And the interesting part to me is Boston's defense like was the best defense for the last like three months of the regular season was phenomenal in the postseason, right? Their their run to get to the NBA Finals, they took out Brooklyn, which was probably the worst first round matchup for any true title contender. And then they beat Milwaukee in seven. And then they beat the heat in seven who granted were beat up and we didn't really think they were great, but it's not like the Miami heat were a terrible team. Terrific run to the finals. And all of a sudden, like they cannot guard golden state. And, the big key, and it's what we talked about after Game One, is how they're defending ball screens.
1: Did they defend them the same way? So the
0: they, yeah, they got like that third quarter was just Golden State was just going to ball screen after ball screen. Like it was not really the the free flowing offense we're used to seeing from Golden State. They were just like we're getting the ball screen and we are going to shoot. And that's a big reason why Curry went off. That's a big reason why uh, Jordan Pool had a good run there too. And if you're Boston, I, okay, here's here's my thoughts on Boston's defense. When Golden State goes Steph Curry ball screen, there's there's three options for him. They're running the drop coverage right now, right. and I think they can still do that to an extent. But two things have to change: one, the guard, whether it's Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, they've got to be better at getting through the screen. Like they can't just get screened and be out of the play right. for four seconds. They've got to get through no, the screen too long to make sure Curry has like a sec, a split second to shoot. Right. right? The problem is, is they're getting screened, and Curry's got like three seconds. before Tatum, Smart, or Brown are are recovering. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, if they're going to run that, it's still got to be more aggressive. One of the problems, like Curry hit one from like six or seven feet behind the three-point line, and Al Horford was defending it like his feet were on the three-point line. Against most people, you'd be like, yeah, okay, let the guy shoot from seven feet behind the three-point line. But you've got to be more aggressive when it's Steph Curry and be willing to defend him seven feet beyond the three-point line. So they can still run that. I just think they've got to be they've got to be better at it. The other thing that and they did some of this in both games. They can switch things, and if they run a ball screen that involves Al Horford or Robert Williams or uh, Tice, they can switch them. But you just have to have confidence that Horford or those guys can cover and get to them. Can just stay with Curry for seven or eight seconds, whatever it is. You can do that probably shouldn't do that for 48 minutes but you can do that some and then the other thing they can do which they haven't done is just try to trap Steph Curry off the ball screens or Jordan Poole and then you've got to rotate behind the way you would try to do that would be to help off a of Draymond Green and basically say hey let that guy shoot Let the guy shoot and the, oh, the big problem with that though is Draymond Green's really good at driving into the paint right. and then passing to whoever right. you've left open which would be the case there I think what Boston needs to do is a combination of all three. Don't give Steph Curry the same defensive look over and over and over. Give him a different look every time he comes off a ball screen. Make him at least take a second to think
1: about what's happening
0: about how he needs to attack it because that'll buy you a little bit more time to figure it out. But also, they're good enough defensively. They've got good enough players that they can run different things and it not be atrocious. They've just. I think that's the key to me is they've got to run the different types of ball screen defenses throughout the course of the game. Don't give him five or six looks at the same exact scheme. Switch it up every couple of. Possessions. So
1: you're choosing right now that it's more Boston's defense and Golden State's offense. Well,
0: no, I think it's more Golden State's offense because I think that's that's the ultimate issue here for Boston is they Steph can, Curry comes yeah. off a screen and he can just pull up and shoot with any amount of space, and so. Unless you switch it, he's almost always going to get at least a little bit of space coming off a screen. And if you switch it, then you're really counting on Horford to stay in front of him, which he'll do sometimes, but not all the time. But I think it's more about Golden State has had a couple of quarters in this series. Curry's had three quarters in this series where he's been unbelievable and knocked everything down. And if you're Boston, it's happened three times in two games. I guess... It could happen once every game, but like you, you kind of have to live with that to an extent. Like it's Steph Curry, not three quarters though. Right. It's, it's going to right. happen, but, and you have to live with it a little bit, but you've just got to be able to shut it down to where he doesn't have 14 and a quarter. Oh. And Jordan pool has like 10 right. in the quarter as well, just off of, Hey, we're running a ball screen and, right. pulling and up they're just
1: pull up and shoots for three. So
0: like you've got, again, you got to live with it to some extent because you're good enough that you can over, they, they did it in game one. You can overcome a big Steph Curry quarter. You just can't have a Steph Curry and a Jordan Poole quarter. You just can't have two quarters like that. And that's been the issue so far for Boston. So it's to an extent you've got to live with it, but they've also got to limit it as much as they
1: can. Are you more surprised that Boston's defense has struggled or Golden State's defense has been good?
0: So Golden State's defense. All right. These are are some numbers here. We got 18 Boston turnovers in that game. Smart had five. Tatum had four. Brown had three. The guys that should be the best ball handlers on this team had most of them. Boston actually hit over 40% of their threes, but they shot 38% on two pointers in that game. They only attempted six layups and they were eight of 24 on other shots in the paint that were not layups. They were terrible in the paint and Tatum was bad in game one in the paint as well. So this is two games in a row where golden state. I mean, Draymond green should get more credit than he does for being a interior defender, but Golden states it's not like they're running Rudy Gobert out there and defending the rim. And Boston cannot score in the paint of this. Plus, you throw in the fact that all of the role players except Derek White got shut down. Marcus Smart at two points. Horford after for that two, first game, two, two points. He only four shot shots. four times. Rob Williams, two. Grant Williams, big day, six points. Like, those are the role players for Boston in that game. Golden State's defense has been excellent, but I still think there's a level of Boston's missing. Like Boston's, they've got to finish better inside the paint. It just, it just has to happen for them to have any chance to come back and win this series. Especially if you're going to have Curry go off for five or six minutes at right. a time. You, you cannot go eight of twenty-four in the paint on non-layups. That you, can, if you're going to like, that's a good number. Twenty-four shots in the paint. That's that's a good number there. And they only made eight of those. That is
1: thirty-eight percent on twos.
0: Yeah, that that cannot happen. You don't have a legitimate chance to win against Golden State, unless Golden State shoots 12% from three. You don't have a legitimate chance to win a game if you're going to be that bad inside the arc. So I think that, I mean, Golden State deserves credit, but I think a lot of that is still Boston is just missing shots in the paint that they should be making. Because, come on, like, they're not in the NBA Finals without being able to make shots inside the paint. So that's pretty brutal on Boston's in there. So I, to be completely honest with you, I don't know who I think is in control of the finals right now. I would lean towards golden state, but it, well, if, if they have one game where Curry doesn't go off for a quarter,
1: yeah, they're probably Boston's not going to win fine. the game, especially with Boston at home. Yeah. Boston's fine. So
0: I, I lean towards golden state at the moment because Boston, I think has the most questions to answer as to how the hell do you defend Steph Curry coming off a ball screen? But I don't feel a hundred percent confident being like, Oh yeah, golden state's absolutely in control. So I don't know. We'll see what happens in Game Three. I
1: mean, if it goes the way these playoffs is going, Celtics are going to win Game Three.
0: Yeah, and also uh, we won't have Game Three until like next month because they're taking I think it's two Wednesday, days off. Right? Yeah. Two days off between Game One and Two. Right. Two days off between Games Two and Three, and then they d- finally we get one day off between Three and Four. Three and four? just Thursday off, and then they're right back on Friday. So yeah, we'll find out in a month what happens in Game <laughs> Three. It'll be a long time coming up next. We'll jump into some UNLV basketball because Kevin Kruger finally got a high schooler to commit to him. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff coming up later in the show. We'll have tickets to go see Slipknot. Stay tuned for that. Then Goat's going to join us in about 10 minutes to talk about the Stanley cup playoffs. But over the weekend, what is this? A freshman? Kevin Kruger's getting freshmen to come to UNLV now. The first freshman to commit to UNLV is Keyshawn Hall, um, an unranked recruit. He did have Missouri, Arizona State, and St. Mary's in his final four. Uh, This very much feels to me like UNLV went out in the transfer portal, added all that they could, or at least all that they thought would help. Added all they wanted. And this is uh, basically the secondary plan to fill out the rest of the roster.
1: Okay. I don't think, I don't know if there's a lot wrong with it. If they didn't think there was anything left in the transfer portal. Yeah. You know, he's a high school kid. He'll have some eligibility. Um, don't know much about him other than what you said Unranked, uh, not bad schools in his final four. Um, can he? I assume he's a great defensive player. <laughs> I
0: don't know that about him. I could not tell you he could be, but I'm, I'm with you too. He probably has never scored in his life. He's, he's only great a defensive player, player. Um, but it's, I think this, and I don't know how like rigid Kevin Kruger sticking to this. Cause you just take good players no matter where they come from, when you can get them. But I, I think that the general idea here of UNL, UNLV recruiting, and we've now seen this the last couple of years Is Because of the transfer portal, because guys can be automatically eligible the first time they transfer, that is the priority in the offseason when you're adding players. If you can get one of the top, like, 50 recruits in the country, you go get them, right? Those guys are going to be really good. But if you can't, there's no point in, like, locking yourself into a three-star early in the process because... You can go get your Keyshawn Halls in early June after the transfer portal's been, it's not completely done, but after the transfer portal's been pretty picked over, you can go get Keyshawn Hall-type players to fill out your roster. So I think the general idea here is, okay, if there's a top 50 recruit you and LV can get, great, go get them, that guy can be your priority. After that, it's all about the transfer portal. The transfer portal becomes the number one option because you can get college-ready guys, guys that have already done it, at this level, or a lot of times at the higher level than what UNLV plays at. And then once you're done with that, if you still have open roster spots, then you can go back to high school. There's go back to kids that would be freshmen like Keyshawn Hall and bring them in.
1: So this was an uncommitted 22, 22, 23.
0: Yep. Yeah. Okay. Which is, so it's, it's weird. So you have 24, seven doesn't rank Keyshawn Hall being uncommitted until the first week of June is not normally a good sign, but Missouri, Arizona State, and St. Mary's were the other three schools in his final And they might have been in
1: the same boat as UNLV where they're like, okay, we're done with the portal. Let's just go get a kid.
0: Which is what – if you're not getting the top 50, 100 recruits in the country, that's kind of how you should be approaching it. Because, again, Keyshawn Hall is – there's no reason to go get a Keyshawn Hall-type player.
1: Until you know what you get out of the
0: portal. Right. Like, there's no reason to – because if you land – if UNLV had landed three other great transfers – they're not taking Keyshawn no. Hall. They got three other great transfers. They're good to go. So, but they've got they had three open roster spots after Donovan Williams stayed in the draft. Used one on Keyshawn Hall, and now there's two more spots left. That's the thing. There's still two spots left on this roster.
1: I know it's it's weird because every time I see that, I'm like, when are they going to finish this? It's amazing that they continue. I, because I, of all these transfers, I when I kept reading that they had three spots, I'm like, my goodness. And I know Hamilton. Come, <laughs> they lost Hamilton's uh, scholarship. They lost Donovan Williams. Yep. Lost Marvin Coleman scholarship. Mike Nuga Mike and Nuga Royce Ham. So there were a lot. Yeah. There was a lot to replace. Yeah.
0: They, they're now, with Donovan Williams staying in the draft, they lost four of their top five scores from last year. Jordan McCabe's the top returning leading scorer, and he had like six points a game last year or something like that. So they're basically replacing, it's going to end up being like 80, 90% of their offensive production from last season. And hell, with Royce Ham. And 90% of their rebounds, too. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's a ton to replace. And they've gotten, what was it, four or five kids in the transfer portal to take up a lot yeah. of those spots. But they still have a couple of more here. So,
1: so do you save them? Or is if there's another Keyshawn Hall out there, do you go get him? So
0: I would think with two left, you can go get another Keyshawn Hall type player if you want. But the the player that sticks out to me from the last few years in the Mountain West as like a, oh, that's a really fortunate situation that changed how the Mountain West was viewed is Nemish Kata, who Utah State got Nemish Kata. If I remember correctly, he committed and signed with Utah State in August before he played for them that season. And it's because Nemish Kata was getting recruited by power conference schools, but there were apparently some eligibility question marks. Was he going to be eligible to play college basketball? I don't know exactly what the questions Came from were, Portugal, but th- those were the questions. I believe. Is Nimish Keda eligible to play? Utah State waited it out. They held a scholarship open, and they waited, and eventually it got to be August or whatever, and they were one of the only ones, I think, still waiting with the you scholarship, with and Nimish Keita was like, all right, I'm going to Logan, Utah, apparently, and he ended up being the best defensive player in this conference for like three straight seasons. And Utah State, along with Sam Merrill, was really good for a few seasons there. I don't know that there's a Nemish Kada out there. I don't know if there's that big of a difference maker that if, but it's possible. And I wouldn't have a problem if Kevin Kruger held a scholarship open oh, into no. the fall. No, if
1: you have at least one of yeah. the two, yeah. I would hope I, I, I would I would leave right. open.
0: I, I think if, that, if that's what they did, if they took another you know, high schooler to bring in and whatever, that's fine. And then if they left one open for, hey, what happens if a great player falls into our laps from somewhere, then you're, you're ready to go. You're ready to take them. Whereas if you take two, two more freshmen or something like that, then all of a sudden you don't have it. And I will say this other point. There are still tr- uh, transfers in the transfer portal that haven't committed to a new school. So there are still players out there that you can go get that are transferring. They just haven't decided where they're going. So there are still transfers they could get in, And there's some good ones left. I don't know that they're in on any of them, but there are still good ones left. But I would, I would think at this point, you probably leave one open. And if a great player falls into your lap, a great player falls into your lap, and you might be in
1: really good shape. Keyshawn Hall believes they're an underdog.
0: Oh, yes. I love the quotes. These are, these are post-commitment recruits, though. He told on three... This is after he decided. Yes. I chose UNLV over all the other schools because I felt loved, not just liked. They said they needed me, not just wanted me. Here's the, here's the key part. Throughout the whole process, they showed me and my family love from the start. Uh, he also said, I'm big on underdogs, and I want to put UNLV back on the map. The program is headed in a great direction, and I want to be a part of that and help them get to the
1: tournament. Put them back on the map. You, this, I haven't been on the map in a while. They have not. 2013.
0: There, there's been about six straight recruiting classes talking about putting Put your back on the map. What do you think Kevin Kruger sells when he's recruiting transfers or high schoolers about the NCAA
1: tournament? That they can be the ones? like, do you think well, he goes I mean, in and I don't like, know. do you
0: think he says, like, hey, this is a program that hasn't been in what are we up to, eight, nine seasons?
1: Well, I don't know if he leads with that fact. Well, yeah,
0: right? probably not. But do you think like at some point that comes up and he's like, I think we he, need you to yeah, put I mean, us on the, the map? You're
1: to... you're the difference maker. Yeah. We can we can make you you can make the difference. I. Wh- how else would he sell it?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you could completely ignore it to some degree, I guess if they ask about it, but you could completely ignore it. But I do wonder like that probably works on a lot of people. The idea of hey, oh,
1: it strokes the ego,
0: right? Hey, sure. this this program. It's been sure. like it's been a tough decade, but you're the difference. You're the difference. You're different from the other straight recruiting. And I'd assume if
1: they know anything, Missouri, Arizona States, and St. Mary's mentions it when they recruit.
0: Yeah, they're like, oh, UNLV.
1: and been the to tournament th- I mean, what do you think this is? Nineteen ninety? Yeah, it's recruiting. Are you, what are you going there for? Yeah, I I
0: would guess so too. Especially if you're you know St. Mary's, and you're like, oh, we go to the tournament every year. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're always there. We don't want to, we don't ever go very far, but we're there. Well, we're always the time. in time. We'll lose to Gonzaga by 15 at some point during the season <laughs> too, but we'll be in the NCAA tournament. So I just, I think that's a, that's an interesting tactic to, to be like, you're the difference maker and the transfer portal or to high schoolers. And it probably works to some degree or works on some, I'm just, there's some kids that are probably like, well, I don't want to be the difference maker. I just want to go. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Go get some other good players to help us go. But I do like that idea. If that's what Kevin Kruger's doing coming up next. Ben Goats joins the show. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN
1: Las Vegas Studios. This is the press box with Graney and Bischoff.
0: Joining us now, your journal is Ben Goats. Good morning, Ben. How Hello, are you ben? today? Maybe not. We got him. Ben, are you there? Benjamin? What about now, Ben? Can you hear us?
3: Yep. All there right. We there got he it. I can hear you. Okay. He all right,
0: where's where's the new Golden Knights coach? How long am I going to be asking you that question?
3: I guess at least for the next little bit here until Barry Trotz decides <laughs> whether he wants to <laughs> kick off what I'm sure is his great lake house and pick up the <laughs> whistle again. I think that's what's got everything in a holding pattern. It's the world according to Barry Trotz and we're all living in it. I think he knows he's got plenty of suitors. I think he knows that they're all going to be willing to Wait around for him, and he's basically got the market kind of frozen right now, except for the Islanders promoting uh, Lane Lambert from assistant to head coach. No one with an opening has made a move yet, and I think that's just because basically uh, Barry Trotz has not made a decision. So until he decides which way he's going to go, I think everything is going to kind of stay frozen. Now, you would obviously think that in the next couple weeks, we're going to see some movement there just because you probably want him in place before the draft, but that's still about a month away. So uh, it's really hard to to know when eventually the white smoke is going to come. Barry Trotz is going to make his call.
1: Ben, would you be surprised if they're not among these teams waiting for him or are they doing things on the side uh, and and he's not one of them? Would You you know McCremen and McPhee, and it seems like Barry Trotz – Uh, at least by reports, uh, would like some power uh, beyond coaching. I don't know if those two guys want to give any of that up. So if I told you they have no interest in Barry Trotz, would you be surprised, or do you think they're actually interested?
3: I think they're interested. I mean, you know, for whatever kind of dynamics that might need to be worked out there, I mean, Barry Trotz is still the number one clear coach on the market. He's the guy. Uh, that's got the ring on his finger that they can bring in and bring kind of instant credibility to his message of this is what we have to do to get one of these, and I know it because I got it from you guys in your own building, by the way. Um, and so I think that they are definitely going to be interested in a guy like that. And I think, despite the fact that yeah, there has been some reports that Barry Trotz would be in- interested in management at some point, and maybe you know that could result in him having an increased role. In personnel, in some way, shape, or form, even if he does still end up coaching uh, his next stop, I think if he wants another one of those, another you know one of those Stanley Cup rings, I think the Knights could still obviously sell him on that too, and potentially even have him pulled off on those front office streams a little bit compared to a uh, Winnipeg, which missed the playoffs, and there was kind of reports of locker room uh, strife. There, and there would probably be a lot of work for him to do to turn that into a Stanley Cup contender. Obviously, a lot of these other teams looking for coaches like Philadelphia, not very close. Uh, Chicago, which might be interested because they have an interim coach right now, probably not very close. Uh, you know, the wild card could, of course, be Florida because they were led by an interim coach this year, and Andrew Burnett, who was a uh, Jack Adams finalist and did lead them to the President's Trophy, so. You know, I think they're likely probably just going to stick it out with him, but I think anytime a guy like Barry Trotz is available, you at least have to explore it. Um, but I think there's enough that could work between a Trots knights pairing from both sides that would cause them to be interested in each other that I think, you know, it is a real possibility. I do think there's probably some interest on both sides. Whether that ultimately works out to him coming here uh, remains to be seen because will be some polls. For the other teams as well. I think especially Winnipeg, which he's a Manitoba guy. That's his hometown team. I think there could be some appeal for him trying to resurrect the hometown franchise.
0: Is there a point where the Golden Knights should move on to their second and third candidates? Or should they just wait out Barry Trotz as long as Barry Trotz is willing to, to drag this on?
3: There's not a whole lot of downside for them waiting this out. Um, Obviously, like you know, any coach, and like I said, maybe Barry Trotz is more interested in getting into this side of this down the road. But for the most part, you're not at your draft table even in early July, soliciting opinions from the coach on which Western Hockey League player he likes best this year. In between preparing for National Hockey League opponents, you're not getting a lot of input uh, from your coach there. So you would obviously like your coach to have some input when free agency comes around, and that opens. July 13th, you would like to at least, I would assume, bounce ideas off your coach, you know, in terms of who you're going to let walk, who you're going to try to resign, who you might try to trade for and stuff. But I assume Barry Trotz knows that as well, so he will likely want to be in place at least a couple weeks before that so he can offer his initial assessment on his roster before things start to move forward. So until we creep a little bit closer to that, you know, free agency date, until we get to like the beginning of July, I don't think there's a huge sense of urgency here because, for the most part, your coach is not, you know, doesn't have a lot to do right now outside of assess how the season went, you know, evaluate systems, coaches, players, and all that. And you assume Barry Trust, who's been through this a number of times, could get up to speed fairly quickly and honestly is probably doing some of his due diligence as well right now on all these different teams so he has an idea of what he'd be walking into at any of these stops.
1: Ben, uh, have you changed or stayed with your thoughts on how this team's going to get under the cap and who might be moved?
3: No, I mean, I think the obvious one that still is like screaming out, of course, is Gennady Dodonov, who has tried to be moved at the trade deadline obviously with the fact that Kelly McCrimmon is returning, I think he has to be kind of the number one guy you circle on your board, um, and that'll give them some room to sign some of their restricted free agents, um, but not all of it. So the only question, I think, after that is then how much deeper do the cuts go in order to bring back some of their restricted free agents, or do they ultimately have to let some of these RFA guys, which include uh, Nicholas Waugh, Nick Hague, Keegan Colasar, Brett Howden, do some of those guys also have to potentially let walk because they can't squeeze all of them under the cap just moving Evgeny Dodonov. If they want to bring all these guys back, it'll require further cuts like, say, moving Laurent Brassois, which could be a distinct possibility. He had off hip surgery. Uh, we'll see whether he's recovered in time for training camp and whether another team would be interested in him because he had a pretty good start to the season and then When that injury happened, he really uh, fell apart down the stretch. You have to wonder, you know, if um, a guy like Riley Smith, who's an unrestricted free agent, would they be willing to move out additional salary to try to bring him back? Or is that a guy that they're going to be priced out of on the market and ultimately have to let go and leave kind of a hole in their top six? Um, So I think that's where this gets really fascinating and really interesting. For the Knights, I think saying that they're going to probably try to move against get down off again is the easy part. It's just a matter of to bring some of their, you know, just total free agents back. Riley Smith as an unrestricted free agent, Matias um, mark as well, and then those four RFAs who are all going to need big pay raises. How many additional kind of cuts are you willing to make to try to accommodate some of the back? And like I said, I think Laurent Persuade could be one guy. You wonder about the future of – Nolan Patrick, whom Kelly McCormick said was out indefinitely at the end of the season, that something happened there. And then you're wondering if anyone else has to be moved out to accommodate some other guys coming back.
0: Who do you feel more confident in winning the East, Tampa or New York?
3: That's a really good question. Obviously, Tampa that was a huge goal by Andre Pilat to get him back to 2-1 within the series yesterday. There's part of me that still feels like as the series it's tight and it continues to move along that Tampa's going to figure this out. They obviously need to stop putting the Rangers on the power play That much is clear. But I think they just have a way about them and a confidence about them still, even when they are down two nothing, that I think that they're still going to find a way to eke this one out. But it's hard not to be impressed with how the Rangers have played this series. They absolutely took it to the Lightning the first two games, had the 2 nothing lead yesterday that they ultimately let slip away. But Igor shesterkin has been absolutely incredible back there. Their power plays been lethal. I love the development of some of their young players uh, this series. Uh, that's Jared Golanke, guys, behind the bench. Uh, he can coach a little bit, uh, it turns out. And he's having a heck of a run right now with the Rangers. But I think just the experience factor... Is ultimately going to turn towards the Lightning the later this series goes on, and by the looks of it, uh, after yesterday, I feel like we're in for a long series. And if we are, I do think I would ultimately pick the Lightning to heat this one out.
1: Oh, we're all rooting for Gallant. Come on, let's be honest. I want that guy lifting the cup? It'd be beautiful. Uh, are you? Are you uh, surprised? It's three zero in the other one. Probably not as much as uh, the Tampa Bay being down. But are you surprised? And on a side note, what did you think about one game for Kane?
3: Well, I mean, you obviously you hope one game is probably the rest of the Oilers season at that point, because I thought that could probably be multiple. I mean, that was just everything that you don't like about a hit in hockey, that one had in terms of it was, you know, cross-check back, to the back into the boards. Obviously you knew immediately it was bad for Nazem Kadri. You felt obviously so awful for him. He's a guy that, you know, whatever you thought of, of him coming into this postseason, as a player, certainly a guy that can play on the edge and has played beyond the edge at multiple points in past postseason. But the fact that he battled back from all the just horrible, awful things that he experienced in that St. Louis series with a really productive player and then has to deal with that from Evander Kane that knocks him out for uh, the rest of this series for sure. We'll see if he gets knocked out the rest of the postseason. Uh, Is just awful, and I think it absolutely could have been multiple games, I think, obviously, if you're the Avalanche, I think you're hoping to make them pay and make it basically a uh, rest of the postseason ban by winning tonight. So we'll have to see uh, what happens. Uh, I am uh, at least relatively surprised it's been seemingly kind of lopsided. Uh, the only game that was obviously pretty close was the last one where Colorado you know, ends up coming back, takes the lead there in the third period and gets the empty netter to make it 4-2. But for the most part, the Oilers defense has really just not been there. Darnell Nurse, their number one defenseman, who I think is playing pretty banged up, is having a really, really rough series. And that's making it hard for the Oilers to contain uh, the Avalanche's star power. And then obviously, McDavid uh, is, you know, seemingly now human in this series. He is no longer averaging like three points a game like he was uh, in the last series and when he's. Not doing that, you all of a sudden all the other warts with the Oilers that I think we all kind of knew were there all of a sudden start to show up a lot more. So the fact that they've turned Connor McDavid from you know superhuman Wayne Gretzky Mario Lemieux type production to just very good production, I think is all that it's really taken to dial down the Oilers from you know a very good playoff run to just kind of a you know average run-of-the-mill fodder for the Avalanche to take out here.
0: Well, he is Ben Goats from the Review Journal. Ben, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks,
1: Ben. Great stuff.
3: No problem. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks,
0: Ben. So there's Ben Goats from the Review Journal on the Golden Knights and the postseason. Are we really waiting until July for this? For
1: Barry Trotz?
0: Yeah. Is this going to happen? Are we going to be doing this for an entire another month? Just like (laughs) no no information either. I hope. What else is there to talk about?
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, at least give us some
0: like info. At least give us some like so and so interviewed
2: or they're like we get we get nothing. He probably just wants to sit back and enjoy the playoffs. He doesn't want to have to worry about work during the playoffs. He's not watching the postseason. No chance. This
0: guy has not watched a single second of postseason hockey.
2: Barry Trotz? No chance. I think he on that big lake house. I think no, he's got the big TV no, watching it. No, oh, he's yeah. not watching it. He's got yours set up through the first couple rounds with the, <laughs> the big TV and then the two smaller ones are the games he wants to pay attention to but doesn't really care about.
0: I don't think he's watching it. Really? I, yeah. I think it's like, nope, season's over. I got fired randomly. Uh, you guys are all going to, he's got all the power. You guys are all going to wait for me.
1: Well, he could say you're going to wait for me and still watch games. Yeah, no,
0: he's not even a hockey coach right now. He's like taking <laughs> he's taken 2 months off from the entire job.
1: He's out the, there hydrating the in the entire
0: industry. Lake. He's just like, "Nope, don't care anything that happens. I'll 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 call whoever I'm going to work for July 1st and we'll figure it out from there."
1: I mean, first the, the Knights job is obviously really attractive, so I think you can wait. I mean, your second and third guys. You've got a better chance at it if, other, if they're second and third guys of other people, right? I mean, let's say Rick Tockett's the second guy, yeah, and everyone's waiting for Barry Trots. If Barry Trots goes to Philly, I mean, Rick Tockett, I would assume Vegas is his number one anyway. Yeah. I, the the only fear I think, if you're the Golden Knights, is if other teams
0: decide we're not going to wait on Trots, right? And get and your they second start or third. hiring your number two, threes, right. and four, and then right. Trots decides
3: I'm, I'm going going not coach in Vegas or I'm going not coach at all. Or,
0: yeah, and then you're like, oh, we just lost our one, two, three, and four, right. Waiting on Barry Trots. Right. So I think that's the only fear, but. The difference between the number two guy and the number four or five guys is probably not significant enough right. that you'd be that concerned. And you can just call Pete DeBoer and hire him again if you really need to. Well, shouldn't <laughs> let him go in the first place. Coming up next, what the hell happened with the Mets and the Dodgers over the weekend?
3: You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN
1: Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at EdGraney and Bischoff underscore Tyler.
0: All right, Ed, which weird part of the Mets and Dodgers over the weekend do you want to talk about?
1: I don't want to talk about the uh, smell of rat urine because I'm not so sure I believe it. I think the Mets came in and tried to find something wrong with beautiful Dodger Stadium. So I like the uh, Francisco Lindor missing a game because he slammed his finger in a hotel door.
0: You think Dodger Stadium's
1: too pristine oh, to have the smell a, of a, rat urine. What a wonderful urine. place. What a wonderful oh, place man. Dodger Stadium it's is. It's kind of old. Uh, yeah, they keep it up well. A lot of rats. A lot, a lot of uh a lot of statues going up Sandy's the next statue uh little Koufax, Sandy Koufax statue. doesn't yeah. have a statue no that surprised me actually the other day when they said he was, they're putting up a statue I'm like he doesn't have one yet um so Jackie has one Sandy's next Clayton's on deck well in this <laughs> timeline Clayton Kershaw'll <laughs> get one in 2065.
2: what do you <laughs> the next World Series win he'll get one yeah
1: <laughs> come on Dan. they can't put one up in October this year um no, I the they filed the complaint against the Dodgers over the smell of rat year, and I think it was in the the video room.
3: Is that say, where it was? Yeah, it was in the video room
1: where they watch where they watch film before the game, or they watch go down. They run in between at bats. Well, now they have their iPads, but it was the video room. Dodgers sabotaging their opponents. No wonder they got such a good record. Once the you Mets can comp- put the rats in there,
0: they yeah. Like run, let Once the, rats the Mets complained about it and they cleaned it up, the Mets started winning games. Yeah.
2: Now, did they see the rats, or do they just have a professional they urine don't, smell? They, it? they do they're not see
0: the rats. They know exactly what rat urine smells like. Come on. It's like the most common smell in New York, isn't they, it? They do not see the
1: rats. Yeah, um, yeah that's a great point, it's, though. They know. They're experts. They would, they would absolutely them. be experts on rat urine. Yeah, I trust if them. If there's,
0: if there's any team, it's the New York Mets and the New <laughs> York, York rat Yankees. rat urine. I'm like, yeah, okay, if they say so. Hey, we're walking down 55th. 50, <laughs> the Mets had two injuries over the weekend. Max Scherzer, who's already on the I.L., got bitten by a dog on his, his, non, dog. On his non-throwing right. hand. And then Francisco Lindor missed a game in the series because he slammed his finger in the hotel
1: door. What the hell are the Mets doing? Yeah. The Slamming his finger in the hotel door, I kind of like shook my head. And I, was, I don't know how believable that was. Scherzer, I guess he went on a long run with his dog. And his dog was acting up. And, and he just went to like try to calm him down. And the dog bit him. It was his dog. The, the dog bit him. Uh, but he said he played long toss the next It was his non-throwing hand, so I don't think that... Well, he would have played long toss even if it was his throwing hand think, the next day. I think his oblique strain's a little more important or a little more serious than his dog biting him. Maybe.
0: He's going to come back not to be able to catch anything with his glove. His hand still hurt from the dog <laughs> bite. It'd be great. Uh, and we also had... Oh, uh, this is good. Saturday's is game. Good. Uh, Mets are up by five. Ninth inning, Dave Roberts decides, I don't want to use a pitcher... Right, I want to use a position player. We see that a lot. So he brings in Zach McKinstry to pitch and the umpires have to make an announcement that Zach McKinstry cannot pitch because apparently it's a Major League Baseball rule that a position player can't pitch unless the score, the difference is six runs.
1: Now the umpires talked enough about it to where I think Roberts wasn't the only one who knew the rule. I didn't know it was the rule. Uh, Buck Showalter
0: afterwards, he said, "I I don't think he said he didn't know, but he didn't bring it up. The umpires were the ones that were who, like, eventually,
1: oh, who if someone someone said, can we do this? Why is that a rule? I don't know. I mean, if you want to if you want to throw a guy out there, let him throw the guy right. out there. What, what's the point of if it's five runs or ten runs? If it's his decision to put a guy in the game, let him put him in. The, let him put him in the game, right? Because nobody's going to blatantly. Hi, and by the way, how'd you come up with the arbitrary number of six? Right." I mean, who, who 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 sat in the in the in the closet and said, "Well, let's go with six on this one."
0: I did not know that was rule. I also have I to imagine even. there's got to be an extra innings caveat to that rule. If you get into like the twenty second inning, you've got to be allowed to bring in your left fielder, right?